Welcome to the Burning Hearts Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us this week. On this week's episode, we hear from Pastor Chris on positioning our hearts to pursue God's presence. Carter, in the back, could you throw up on the screen our mission statement? I just want us to look at this real quick. This is something that, these are core values for us as a church, and if you're new here and you're just curious who we are, there's more about that, about who we are right in front of you, hopefully. There's a little thing that I think says beliefs on it. That's a little bit more of our core values, what we stand on, so you can see that if you're interested in that. But these are just three statements that really are guiding statements for us in how we do things as a church. Um, pursue God's presence, serve one another, love the lost. Could you just say that with me? Let's say that together. Pursue God's presence, serve one another, love the lost. This morning's message, I really just felt stirred to focus in on that very first one, pursue God's presence. And, uh, you know, that phrase I think maybe can, um, basically I want to unpack that a little bit, make it easy to understand And as we say that phrase this morning, pursue God's presence, I want us to maybe change how we think about that phrase just a little bit. I like that phrase, pursue God's presence. What I wouldn't want us to do is take that phrase and think that um, somehow God is far out there, and when I say pursue God's presence, that means I need to do something to try to obtain and reach God. I want us to maybe shift our mindset from that to thinking about that phrase uh, more like preparing a place for God's presence. So it's not about what I can do or what I have to do to try to reach and obtain God, but I want to ask the question this morning, how can I, how can you, how can we as a church prepare a place for God's presence? Does that make sense? There's this verse in Exodus, uh, see where am I? Exodus 33, verse 15 and 16. I just want to give this a little bit of context before we dive in. Exodus 33, verses 15 and 16. If you're taking notes, I've got quite a few scriptures, so go ahead and just jot that down. Exodus 33, 15 15 and 16. This is Moses speaking to the Lord. Then Moses said to him, to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us. I love this question of Moses right here. Get this. Moses says to God, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth but your presence? So Moses is saying to the Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, what will show the rest of the world who you are, that we're yours, and what will distinguish us from the rest of the world. Now, this, in this context, it's talking about the Israelite people. But as we look at that passage, this is foundational for us. Granted, this is the Old Covenant. Now, I'm speaking just for a moment, assuming you have a little bit of understanding about the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. If you don't, just track with me for a minute. This is in the Old Covenant. Moses says, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, then we won't be distinguished. It's the presence of God that distinguished the Israelites from all other people. It wasn't the fact that they worshiped. It wasn't the fact that they sacrificed animals. It wasn't the fact that they had laws that they tried to follow. It wasn't good morals that set them apart. It was the presence of God that set them apart. If that's the old covenant reality, the Bible talks about how much greater is the new covenant. Now that Jesus has come, 
Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit. He's invited us into relationship with God. But how much more important would it be for you and for me to have lives that are so marked by the presence of God that our lifestyle is distinguished and uniquely different than those who don't know the Lord? Now, some people might argue this and say, well, I'm a believer and now we have the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's inside me. That's what distinguishes me. Yes, I agree with you. And think about this. All through the book of Acts, as we watch the early church believers meeting, gathering, following Jesus, they had the Holy Spirit in them. But what happens so many times throughout the book of Acts? The Holy Spirit comes upon them. Are you still tracking? So what I'm talking about today, when I say pursue God's presence or prepare a place for the Lord, I'm asking this question. God, what can I do to prepare a place for your Holy Spirit to come upon me. Does that make sense? Tracking? Yes, no, maybe so? Yes, cool. I'm not arguing the truth that the Holy Spirit is in us. That's absolutely true as believers. But I'm saying, Father, are there keys and things that you look for when you want to choose to put your Holy Spirit on someone, okay? On a people group or on a person, on a life. Um, I want to share this testimony really quick. This is so fun. Last Monday, uh, some of us were gathered for discipleship school, actually, and we had a guest with us who just shared incredibly from the Word of God, but at the conclusion of our night, we ended up praying over him, and he had a prayer request. He was dealing with carpal tunnel in his left wrist. It was, I believe it was his left, left or right wrist, uh, but he was dealing with carpal tunnel. We prayed over him that night. He messaged me the next night, 24 hours later, and he says, Chris, dot, 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 my hand, dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, oh, no, is that good or is that bad? Right after we pray for this guy's hand. He goes on to tell me, this was just 24 hours after the prayer. He says he had been doing normal activities, playing his guitar, doing things that normally would cause swelling and cause pain. And he said he got to the end of the day and realized, oh, my gosh, I haven't had pain. I haven't had swelling. The swelling is much reduced. He didn't say it was 100%, but he said it was probably 90% better. And then he just messaged me this morning and says, um, my hand is not going numb when I'm playing. He's a guitarist. And from what I can tell, I don't understand this, the fibrous bridge is gone or significantly diminished, and it's just residual swelling that's left over. Woo! Go God! So, part of what sparked this message, honestly, was asking myself, God, we're a people of faith. Most of us in this room, we believe in the salvation of Jesus, that it's more than just salvation for our souls one day when we get to heaven, but eternal life starts now by knowing Jesus, and salvation is more than just our soul being saved for eternity. Salvation is actually healing for our body as well. It's deliverance for our mind. So this component of salvation, I, we watch this happen. This guy gets touched by God, and I started asking, God, you know, we pray for people all the time. Sometimes we see him healed, sometimes we don't. Why this? Why now? So I started getting my mind going, and I felt like the Lord started to speak to me. Chris, it's because people are preparing a place for me. Their lifestyle is preparing a place for me. The way they're choosing to live and follow me is preparing a place for me. Not just that they're coming to church on Sunday, not just that we come and we join and we sing and we worship, but lifestyle. It's things of the heart. 
that are preparing a place for God. I'm going to get really practical right now, so if you feel lost, don't sweat it. We're going to go super practical. We're talking about pursuing God's presence, a.k.a. preparing a place for the Lord. I'm going to give you three keys that I believe are essential if you want to be a person who prepares a place for the Lord. And here's the first key. If you're taking notes, just write this down. The first key is humility. Humility. I'm going to talk for a second about our discipleship school. Our discipleship school is a group of maybe 16 individuals um, in probably like a, I don't even know, a 45-year span age range. This is a wide age range. People from all different backgrounds, different church experiences, different walks of life, different life experiences. And what I have come to love about this discipleship school is there are so many opportunities in that school to see people who are different than you and love them and honor them, even though they might think differently, look different, pray different, sound different. Humility, a huge component of humility, is recognizing that just because I do something one way doesn't mean that if someone does it a different way, it's wrong. This is really practical. Humility means being in right relationship with people. Humility means thinking of others before ourselves. This is a big one. Humility means living with constant recognition of your need for God. Do you remember this? Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Humility is living in constant recognition that God, apart from you, I can do nothing. I need your grace. I need your love. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. This is a place of humility that God desires. This is another facet of humility. Humility is knowing that no one else owes you anything. This is anti-entitlement. Humility is knowing that no one else owes you anything. Bear with me for a second. If somebody, you know, you're walking through your day, let me give you this example. If I gave you $80,000, each one of you, how much would I have left? No, that, we're not going to go there. If I gave you, let's say someone gave you $80,000 and someone stole $60 from you, would you spend the other $79,940 to get the 60 back? If you're like me, no way, not a chance. If somebody steals 60 seconds of your day and makes them really bad, maybe says something mean, is not nice to you, cuts you off, does something you didn't like, would you let it steal the other 79,000 seconds of your day? Probably more likely, sadly, right? I believe that type of response and attitude is simply rooted in a place of entitlement and pride that this life owes me something, that other people owe me a good experience, 
that I deserve to be treated nicely. God was speaking to me about this. Like, if that's my state, I need to really let God check my heart and say, am I walking in deep humility? Do you realize Jesus had people say and do things to him worse than any person to ever walk the planet? And somehow, yes, he felt it. Yes, he was hurt. But he didn't get bitter. He didn't get resentful. He didn't get unforgiving. He had this humble, humble heart that allowed him to become and remain a resting place for the Holy Spirit, for the presence of God. Humility means living unoffended. It doesn't mean that someone won't do something that upsets you, but it means letting it go, forgiving, allowing the Spirit of God to move through you, being washed by the water of God's Word, being cleansed by the blood of Jesus, not allowing bitterness to take root in our hearts. Humility is the first key for preparing a place for God. I'm going to give you the second key. If you turn into your Bibles, if you've got it, otherwise it will be up on the screen, to Psalm chapter 32. This is maybe my new favorite psalm. This is ever since I kind of came to this psalm two months ago. It's just been stirring in my heart, and I go back to this on a regular basis. Our first key for preparing a place for God, for being people who are attractive to the Lord, to his presence, is humility. Our second key is from Psalm 32. And our second key is this, a repentant heart. Having a repentant heart. Psalm chapter 32. I'm only gonna read verses one through five, but these five verses are really split up into three distinct Sections. Verses one and two is one section. Verses three and four is another section. And verse five is another. This is such a powerful statement that David makes in Psalm 32. Verse one, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. Pause. There's other translations of this verse that say, how joyful is the person whose sin the Lord does not count against him. How joyful is the one whose sin is covered, whose transgressions are forgiven, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Do you realize David writing these two verses is speaking about your reality as a believer? My natural reality as a believer, one whose sins have been forgiven, transgressions have been blotted out, is I'm blessed. I'm full of joy. This is God's original intent for us as believers. Once he restores us into relationship with the Father through Jesus, this is your new reality. But look what David says in verse three. David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Selah. Pause. David says, when I kept silent... Even though I should be blessed, I should be joyful, David says, when I kept silent, when I didn't acknowledge my sin, when I didn't acknowledge my weakness, when I didn't acknowledge my capacity for error, when I didn't acknowledge my attitude problem, when I didn't acknowledge how I treated that other person as wrong, I felt God's hand heavy on me. 
My bones were wasting away through my groaning. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. But watch what happens in verse five. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I'm concerned because I think the concept of repentance has been reduced to a one-time act when you give your life to Jesus for the first time. And I believe repentance is meant to be the lifestyle of a follower of Christ, not just a one-time act. If we get stuck in thinking that it's a one-time prayer, I already repented, Jesus forgave my sins. We will find ourselves trapped in verses three and four. Silent, feeling like my bones are wasting away. I go to church, I'm in this place surrounded by all these passionate people, or at least people who are, you know, trying to, trying to be passionate, but I feel like my strength is gone. I feel like God's hand is heavy on me. When we move our lives into verse five, you guys, and say, Lord, I have weakness. I have sinned. You know this attitude is wrong. You know these thoughts towards this person is wrong. You know the way that I treat my spouse in that moment is wrong. And I acknowledge this to you. When we acknowledge that, the Lord is able to lift the heavy burden from us, forgive the guilt of our sin, and bring us back into verses one and two, place of blessing, a place of joy. A repentant heart is so important when it comes to preparing a place for God. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. This was just our discipleship school's memory verse. I wonder if we still remember it, guys, six days later. Do I remember it? He who, oh, he who claims to have no sin. Oh, help me out. The truth is not in him. Something like that is verse eight. Oh, Lord, help. Discipleship school students, help me out. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. If you claim to be without sin, the truth is not in you. But if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just and will forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Is that right? Come on. As a believer, you guys, yes, we're forgiven. But if we think that, oh, we don't have sin anymore, we are stripping ourselves of the possibility of receiving the blessing and the joy of the Lord and the moving of his spirit in that way in our lives. So firstly is humility is essential if it, when it comes to preparing a place for God. And then second, a repentant heart is essential when it comes to preparing a place for God. And then third, if you go to Psalm 51, Psalm chapter 51. I'm going to read almost this entire psalm. In the first 10 verses, we see David again in this place of repentance before God. But as we get to the end of the chapter, he moves us into what is, I think, our third key that's essential in preparing a place for God, which is a broken spirit. A broken spirit, the third key. And I'll explain this a little bit after we read the psalm. Psalm 51. I want you, as I read this, put yourself in the position of David as in the writer of this psalm and feel what he's writing. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. 
Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. Get this. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. I want to propose that broken in this case doesn't mean it's not working. I've only ridden a horse once in my life. It was a terrifying experience. I think I was 10. We were on one of my dad's business trips. I jumped on this horse. Well, more like they picked me up because I was like super tiny and they set me on this big saddle. And the lady who, you know, was running this ranch or whatever said, oh, you got Bronco. And I'm already terrified. And she says, he's the wild one. <laughs> so I'm 10 years old and just like shaking in my cowboy boots on that thing. I should have had my spurs on. I don't know. I would have shown that horse what I thought. But I'm sitting on that horse, and I'm sorry if you love horses. I do like horses. I just maybe don't enjoy riding them yet. But I'm sitting on that horse. I'm, I'm terrified as a kid. Some of you are familiar with this term, but when it comes to horses, the term broken or broke means something very different than not working. The term broke refers to a horse that is considered safe to ride and has all his basic manners. Breaking a horse is the practice of training him to be ridden. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. It's one that is considered safe to ride. It's in line. It's one that has been trained for the sole purpose of allowing the Spirit of God to come and rest and ride. This is the place of a broken spirit. A broken spirit is really simply a responsive spirit. That when God says, go this way, I go this way. When God says, that attitude wasn't right, I don't ignore it. When God says, your relationship with that person is wrong, I don't ignore it. When God says, you've got to start living this way, I listen. This is a broken spirit. I can feel the spirit of God. Would you just look to the Lord? Father, we just want your heart. And God, we want to be people that prepare a place for you, Lord. Not just with our songs, but with our lives, God. We want to be people of humility, Lord. We want to be people of repentance, God, who don't ignore what's wrong, 
but who say, Jesus, it's wrong. Please come fix it. We want to be people of a broken spirit who are responsive to your leading. Would you speak to us, God? I just want to do something different. Would you just stay seated? And would you just talk with God for a second? And I want to just take a few minutes even just in your seat and just ask the Lord, Father, search my heart. Know me. See if there's any hidden way in me. If the Holy Spirit's convicting your heart about something and you need to just get right before God, I just encourage you, let God do his work. When the Holy Spirit puts his finger on something, you guys, it's not to call out and condemn. It's so he can heal and forgive as we let him. Do you just let him do that for a few minutes? Let's just wait in the Lord's presence for a few minutes. Keep your eyes closed and just keep talking to God. just have a sense that, just keep talking with the Lord, just have a sense that there's people here and God's really speaking to you about some stuff. It's not to condemn you. I even just feel God speaking to some of us about relationships that are broken. And God may even, maybe even bringing to mind things of the past that broke or old relationships that maybe you had a part in kind of um, breaking and maybe you didn't handle well, but I feel like if God is speaking to you and saying, you've got to make this right with this person or even a current relationship, I just encourage you, be that person who has a responsive heart, who's repentant, but then who takes action. Says, Lord, I want to do my part in this thing. So with every eye closed too, I just want to give an opportunity for those in this room who maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ. God's love for you is so great. Entering his kingdom and coming into relationship with him is so unique. It's not by us trying hard or trying to be good people or doing our best. 
Entering his kingdom, it actually looks like recognizing I can't do this apart from a savior and apart from Jesus. So if you're in this place and you're like, man, this maybe sounds kind of weird or opposite of what I know. Entering the kingdom just kind of looks like laying down in surrender and saying, God, I can't do it by myself. I need you to bring me in to your family. So if you're in this place and you would like to start that relationship with Christ, I just want you to lift a hand real quick. I'm not going to make you stand or call you out. I just want to know that I'm going to pray for you. I want you to know that. Cool. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, it's your desire for us to live in Psalm 32, 1 and 2 experiencing the blessing of being forgiven, the joy of salvation. Father, would you make us a people who's walking in humility, who's not afraid to repent and step out, who's not afraid to say, I'm sorry, who's not afraid to sound silly for apologizing for something that maybe the other person won't even think is a big deal, but Holy Spirit, when you speak to our heart, I pray that we'd be people who are responsive to you. God, that our lifestyles would be those that prepare a place for you, God, in a real way. And Jesus, we thank you that when we prepare a place for your spirit, you have promised and already shown your desire to pour out upon us, God. So I pray, Lord, as we do this, Father, even as we enter maybe deeper into a process and a lifestyle of letting you lead us, that, God, you're going to meet us. You're going to pour out your spirit upon us, Father. You forgive our sin, Lord God, and our iniquity, Jesus. I feel that, too. Some of you are now thinking about things you've done in the past, and you're getting all condemned. You don't need to. We acknowledge to the Lord, and he lifts the burden. He forgives our sin. So I encourage you, if that's you and you're feeling too heavy in this place, God forgives you through Jesus Christ. Just receive his forgiveness this morning and allow him to help you forgive yourself. Thank you, Father God. Lord, we love you so much. Jesus, would you let this message resonate in our hearts, God? Would you let these scriptures resonate in our hearts, stir in our hearts, Father? This week as we live, Father, I pray we would, we would pay attention to the leading of your Holy Spirit more than ever before. If you want that, lift your hand. And I mean that. If you want to be paying attention to the leading of the Holy Spirit this week more than you did last week, and you say, God, would you just open my ears? Just lift a hand. Father, would you do that? We want to be people who really are being led by you, Lord. Not just people of good morals and good standards, Father, but people of the presence of God where the Holy Spirit is so in us and upon us, Father that we look different, we talk different, we walk different, we love different, Lord. So God, open our ears to hear you this week, I pray. Open opportunities, Lord, for people to hear you and to step out in faith in ways like never before, God. I pray for boldness to arise in hearts, Lord Jesus. And I just pray that you do for each one of us exactly what we need, Lord. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message encouraged you today. 
For more information about Burning Hearts Church and our mission, please head to burningheartsfargo.com. If you are in the Fargo area, we would love for you to join us at one of our Sunday services, either 9 or 1045 a.m. Have a great rest of your week.